You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Well, happy first Sunday of Advent, Mission Family. Yes, you heard me right. We are beginning the Advent season right here and now. This is the first Sunday of Advent. And if you're not familiar with what Advent is, it's a season where we celebrate the days leading up to the birth of Jesus on Christmas Day. In fact, Advent actually means arrival. And so through Advent, we remember the arrival of Jesus and the longing and the waiting. And, and uh, we're starting a brand new sermon series this morning, uh, an Advent series, and it's called The Language of Christmas. And we're going to be defining words that are associated with Advent, like hope, peace, joy, and love. And so I hope you'll stick with us through this sermon series. It's going to be a really good one. But today we're going to begin with defining the word hope. And there are a couple of different words in the Old Testament that mean hope in in Hebrew. And the first one is yakal, which means to wait for. It it means waiting, to wait for. And then the second word is kava. And and kava means to wait as well, but there's a tension and expectation with kava that isn't there with yakal. And so these, both of these words are used for hope throughout the Old Testament, sometimes 40 times throughout the Psalms. And, and, uh, and with Kava, there's this tension. And Kava, um, is, is, it also brings a picture of a cord, like a rope where, where it's intertwined together. And, and like back when in summer camp or elementary school where you used to play tug of war, uh, you know, over a pool or something like that, where, where the rope gets really tight and there's tension. And then eventually there's some release like that, that tension is associated with the hope of kava. So kava means to wait with tension or expectation. And so it's a really, really cool uh, word. Um, You know, the last words of the Old Testament through the prophet Malachi, God spoke to the Israelite people and it wasn't a hopeful message, in fact. It, it was pretty brutal. And, 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 and the Old Testament is the first chunk of the Bible, the whole part of the Bible, that Jesus isn't personally present in the Old Testament. He's there if you look for him, but he's not actually on the earth until the New Testament. And so the Old Testament is the first chunk. And at the very, very end, the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, God spoke to his to the people of Israel and accused them of all kinds of evil things, um, which were all true. And most of the people received this news poorly, uh, forgetting that it was God that they were dealing with and basically said, nuh-uh, we didn't do those things. No way, nuh-uh. And God's basically like, "Uh uh-huh, right? 
uh-huh, yeah, I know, I'm God. Uh, but there was a small group of Israelites who were faithful to God. And in the final words of the Old Testament, before Jesus comes on the scene, the thing that we're celebrating in Advent, um, the, before Jesus comes on the scene, there was a small group of faithful followers to God. And God speaks directly to this small group of people, of Israelites, before signing off for a while. And, and in Malachi 4, Three through six, it says this, God gives these instructions to his faithful followers. On the day when I act, you will tread upon the wicked as if they were dust under your feet, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Remember to obey the laws of Moses, my servant, all the decrees and regulations that I gave him on Mount Sinai for all Israel. Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. So the Lord's, God's last words in the Old Testament were to his faithful followers and they told him and God told them a couple of things, three things in fact. He said, keep my law that I gave to my, my uh, servant Moses. Keep all my laws and regulations. Second thing is I'm sending you Elijah who will pe prepare the way for the savior. And then the last thing he says is that the day of the Lord, the reckoning is coming. So keep my law. I'm sending Elijah and the day of the Lord is coming. And that's where the Old Testament ends. But what you may not know is that after those words were spoken, God didn't speak through a prophet or a king or anyone. He didn't speak to the Israelites for 400 years. Think about how many generations that is. 400 years of silence. God was present, God was active, but he just was silent, right? So then we get the New Testament, right? 400 years have gone by. God has not spoke. He's present, he's active, but he has not spoke. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, there's a revelation. I want you to join me in Luke chapter one, verse five. I'm reading from the NLT version translation of scripture. So Luke chapter one, verse five. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order and his wife Elizabeth was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commandments 
and regulations. That's important. We're going to come back to it. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. One day, Zechariah was serving in the temple for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw the angel. But the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord, their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now, and my wife is also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the ch child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon after, his wife, Elizabeth, became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. I love that story. Lots of times we overlook the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth and the birth of John the Baptist, but this story is so beautiful. Uh, at the beginning of the scripture, we're introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth, and, and we very quickly learn like three things about them. And the first is it said that they were righteous in God's eyes and they had done all that he had asked in Malachi faithfully. 
That was, they had done all the things that God had asked 400 years earlier. They were faithful in those things. And second, they couldn't have children, which was probably a source of great pain on their lives, which just again tells us that you can be completely right before God and still have to deal with painful things in your life, like extremely painful things. But the third thing we find out about Zachariah and Elizabeth is my favorite. The third thing is that we find out that they're old, like they're old. And the Bible says that they're not just old. It says they're very old, right? They're very old. And Zechariah was a priest, which meant he was on a rotation with a lot of other priests serving in the temple one week at a time. And, and one of the jobs of the priest was to go into the holy place by himself and burn incense and pray before God. And this was an extremely rare opportunity for priests because there were so many priests in Israel, it was not uncommon for a priest to go his whole life without being chosen to burn incense in the holy place of the temple. And, and while Zechariah burned incense and prayed, God broke his 400 years of silence for the first time. God spoke to him through an angel, and not only does he speak, but he uses Zechariah and Elizabeth to fulfill something he promised 400 years earlier, right? In verse 13, it says, but the angel said, do not be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or alcoholic drink, but he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the father to their children. And he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. The angel says the baby will have the spirit and power of Elijah that he will prepare the way of the Lord. And just as described, as described in Malachi, that he will turn the hearts of the father to their children. This isn't just Zachariah and Elizabeth's painful, childless circumstances coming to an end. God is beginning something far greater. This is the beginning of a promise fulfilled by God that the people who walked in darkness will see a great light. That's the promise he's fulfilling. The people who walked in darkness will see a great light in the light of the world the light's name is Jesus, Emmanuel, 
God with us. And John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus. God always fulfills his promise. That's a hope worth holding on to. Hope is different from optimism. I, and, I, and I think this is a distinction we Christians need to really grab onto. Hope is different than optimism. Optimism is about choosing to see in any situation how circumstances could work out for the best, right? But biblical hope isn't focused on circumstances. Optimism looks at the odds, Biblical hope looks at God's track record and remembers that he always finishes what he starts. Later on in Luke 1, when John the Baptist is born, there's a beautiful part of scripture around verse 76 that's Zachariah's song. His son is born and he's so filled with joy. He becomes filled with the Holy Spirit and he begins to prophesy and sing. And in verse 76, it, sound, it, 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 it goes like this. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the most high because you will prepare the way for the Lord. You will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy. The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace, the light, the morning light from heaven, Jesus, is about to break upon us. And you, my son, you will lead the way. You will pave the way for him. When we look at God's track record, Biblical hope isn't based in circumstances because God is faithful. Biblical hope says we can look to the past to feel secure about the future because even after 400 years, God keeps all of his promises down to the letter when we look at God's track record, we can find hope in the fact that God always finishes what he starts and he does it in his own timing, even if it takes 400 years. We can hope because God's track record says so. It says that he will keep his promises. And so that means John the Baptist would come and prepare the way of the Lord, that Jesus would come and live a sinful, 
sinless rather, that he would live a sinless life on this earth and die a sinner's death. And he would be raised again, defeating death. And the final promise is that he will come back again. And we can hold on to that hope even in the darkest night because the light will come back into the world. The spirit of Jesus lives in every follower of Jesus. The Holy Spirit resides within us so we can be the light of the world until Jesus returns again because we are his hands and feet. So you can hope this Christmas season through Advent, you can have hope that is sturdy and bold because God always finishes what he starts. Father God, I thank you for this time. Lord, I thank you for this word. I thank you just, I say it every day, but it just pours out of me because I'm just so grateful for your word that is light to our feet. Father, let us hold on to the hope, Father, that is beyond circumstance, but that is uh, based upon your character, that is based upon your track record, that you have never not kept a promise that you made. Lord, we love you. We are so excited to celebrate the arrival of Jesus and the story of salvation and the birth of Emmanuel, God with us. Father, we love you. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.